You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, Lord willing we'll be able to look at two verses this morning, Romans chapter 3 verses 29 through 30, if you don't have a copy of God's word in front of you, please pull out the notes provided for you in your bulletin, all the scripture references are on there. Also, if you have a smartphone and you've downloaded uh, the Version Bible app, that's Y-O-U, uh, you can go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church and click on today's sermon title, and there all the notes, quotes, and references and scriptures will be, for you, be provided for you on your phone, and you can uh, save that on your phone for future reference as well. And then if you want, um, if you're watching from online, but you want the notes that we have in the bulletin, you can go to mtcarmeldemers.com forward slash notes, and you can download the Sunday morning notes. i got to say this, for those who know, Because He Lives is my favorite hymn, and uh, when Gloria Gaither, like, I'm one of those ones that once I find something, I obsess over it, like, oh, I like this, i got to find out everything about it. And Gloria Gaither is the one who wrote that, and she actually wrote the second verse first, and uh, I think she wrote it in the 70s, and she was talking about how a what a tumultuous time it was, and she was pregnant, and she was waiting on, you know, their child to come, and she's like, how can you bring a child into this world, right, and she wrote that going, you can because Jesus lives, and it's still the truth, right, this world is crazy, uh, but to know that the gospel message still rings, God will not leave this world without a witness to himself, that's worth it right there. Romans chapter 3 Verses 29 through 30, I want to preach part two of a long part of the book of Romans that I've been going through. And we're just at the end of Romans chapter 3. We're at the conclusion, and I've called it conclusion exclusion. Because we've learned some things about justification, I know I'm throwing some big words around and I'll do my best to explain them to catch you up. But because Paul has arrived that justification is given freely for all, it entails or implies that certain things are excluded. And so from part one, we realize this. If God grants freely to you and I, based on what Jesus has done on the cross, that he bore our sins on the cross, and then God raised him from the dead, literally, Paul will say, to justify us for our justification. And justification is kind of the wedding of the forgiveness of our sin and the imputation or the credit or gift that you are considered in the eyes of God the righteousness of Jesus. So it's not just a forgiving of negative things, it's also a a granting of, of positive good things all to your credit, things that you've never done. And that makes you in right standing with God. To justify means to be declared righteous. And notice what's happened In that whole process of justification, notice who did all the work. Jesus did. The Son of God came down, lived a sinless, perfect life, then went to the cross, bearing your sins. There was something going on in the visible world, 
They were executing him because he was considered blasphemous. He claimed to be the son of God. He was considered treasonous because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So they crucified him as a criminal. And what we see the gospel explaining is what was transpiring in the heavenlies is that he was bearing the sin and guilt of our own lives. And he appeases and turns away God's wrath and to prove that Jesus did really what he, what he said he was going to do. God raised him from the dead for our justification. So notice this, you're the beneficiary. You're not the actual worker. You do nothing to produce salvation. And so what we said the last time we were together is that justification, this whole part of salvation excludes boasting. There's no such thing as a boastful Christian. By definition, it's, a, it's just contrary. They're mutually exclusive. Christians have to come to God on their knees, humble, to say we're sinners and we deserve the righteous anger and wrath of God, but because of your love and your grace, you made a way for me. So nobody could come in here and beat on their chest and say, look at me. That's not what Christianity or the church is about. It excludes that. But the second thing that it excludes, and this is what we're going to get to today, is pluralism. Pluralism. Let me explain. The world seems very small today because of technology. But when the world seemed much larger, the world's people did not have much contact with one another, right? To get uh, addresses to one another. It's difficult. And they had many religions, and that hardly troubled anyone. Because doing part, you didn't know what the rest of the world was thinking about. Europeans had their religious doctrines or teachings and practices. And it did not bother the people of Africa or Asia. And then vice versa. We didn't know much about one another. But now it doesn't take long at all that if you get on the internet and Google Christianity, Islam, Right? You can find out what these belief systems are. Today is different because we get to know a great deal about the major world religions. So for many people, and this is an important thing, dissemination of information is not a problem in 2021. And you'll know this if you've spent any time on social media. The, 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 the deficit isn't information but wisdom. How to discern the information. How does one gain ascendancy over another? So which of the world's religions are right? Are many of them right? And which of them are wrong? That's the question that we're exploring today. There are two primary ways of addressing this problem. Our society does it one of two ways. Number one, and this is I think the sentiment of many people is that as long as you believe in your religion with sincerity, then more or less all religions are equal, okay? So if you have some type of belief system and you're sincere, you're true to yourself in that belief system, you'll, you'll get acceptance from our secular culture. And this is the way a lot of times you'll see it explained to people. Imagine a mountain, all right, and God is at the top of that mountain. And the world's religions are like roads going up to the mountain from various sides of that mountain. Some go up on one side, some another, but they all get to the same place in the end. 
When you hear something like that, that is the uh, explanation or illustration of pluralism. And write it down so you know it. Plural, pluralism. All right? That there's multiple ways, a plurality of ways in order to reach the top and get to God. The second belief, is, which is what we ascribe to, is to believe that there is only one way to God. And this is kind of ironic, but it shows you more of the biblical illiteracy that is sitting in the pews. Is You'll see, quote, Christians, I, I can't judge them, but people who self-identify as Christians and who have no problem saying there are many ways to God. You do not know what the Bible says with gentleness and respect. Uh, and that's deadly and lethal, not only to the church, but to a lost and dying world that deserves to hear the truth. Not to be patted on the back. You're going to lie to them, let them stay deceived, and go to hell, but with a smile on their face? No. We're here to proclaim the truth. In the previous two verses, Paul concludes that no one can boast or make much of themselves when it comes to their relationship with God. Why? Because God declared us right, not based on anything that we had done, but because of what Jesus had done. God raised Jesus from the dead to declare that you and I are in right relationship because of Jesus as a gift. It's a gift. Now Paul expects another question. Okay, he anticipates, I know what you're about to say, so I'm going to go ahead and answer this. Let's look at verse 29. He says this, Or is God the God of Jews only? No, I know you have to remember all this. The Jews are God's chosen old covenant family. Okay, and so he does have a special relationship with the people of Israel. But if you remember, if you go all the way back up through Romans chapter 3, Paul has been demonstrating, but all of us are sinners. So you can be a Jew and a sinner. You can be a non-Jew or a Gentile and a sinner. And so because all of us are in sin, we all need one justification. It's the same justification that justifies the Jew and the non-Jew. So notice his inference. Is God the God of just Jews? Is there just one God and he's just favored one people and everybody else is doomed notice the next phrase he says is he not the god of gentiles too he's rhetorical and he knows the answer to the jews they're going to say this yes he's the god of the gentiles too and i'll explain why that would be so abundantly clear to the jews since there is one god who will justify or declare right the circumcised by faith that's just an idiom for the jews and the uncircumcised through faith. That would be the non-Jew. So one justification for every person. Every single person. Write this down. Justification excludes pluralism. Make sure you got it. Okay? Because as, as sad as this sounds, somehow either we have not taught it well or people have bought into the, the media's discipleship. This is not Christian discipleship. We still say there is only one way to God. Paul asks, is God the God of Jews only? No Jew of Paul's day would have denied that God was the God of all people. And you need to remember this. The Jews are strict monotheists. 
They say there is only one God. Okay? Listen to what Deuteronomy 6.4 says. Write this down, Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, Israel, he's talking to the people. The Lord, Yahweh, our God, the Lord is one. There's not a pantheon of gods or lesser gods. There is only one God, the creator of heaven and earth. There's one. And so here's the simple inference that Paul makes. If there's one God, did he create and make all people? Yes. Will he judge all people? Yes, so while you enjoy some special advantages and privileges in the sense that you have his word and you have his promises, at the end of the day, everyone, listen to this church, will answer to the God of Israel. I will answer to the God of Israel. You will answer to the God of Israel because there is none, no other God. No other God exists. This is important. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, Paul's helping them work through this in a practical way. He says about eating food sacrificed to idols. Now that's a pagan thing. Let's eat food in honor of idols, false gods. He says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. He's like, notice this, as Christians, what's, what's behind an idol? Nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing. And that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, he's saying, you'll hear people say, oh, there's many gods. There's many lords or supreme authorities. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. All things are found are, are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Right? So the Bible makes unmistakably clear that if anybody has ever told you from a Christian pulpit that there are multiple ways to God and they're equally valid, they have lied to you. Lied to you. Paul thus argues, since there is only one God, he must also be the God of Jews and non-Jews. So every person. Because God has excluded boasting because of faith in Jesus. God has unified the way to him. Did you catch this? This is what so what you gotta understand. There's not a way for North Americans or you see what I'm trying to say and South Americans. There's not separate ways. He's united all the peoples into just one way. Because here's the difference: we're all sinners. That's all he's seen. Sinners, a mass of sinners. And sinners need just one savior. Okay? One savior. So if God justifies or declares one group of people one way, then in his justice, what will he do? Declare another group of people the same way. That's all this is. He did not say that justification is just for the Jews. He recognizes it's because everybody's sinners, so the doctrine of justification is for everybody. And therefore eliminating every other way there is to him. God declares us righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, according to the Bible alone, to God's glory alone. Did you catch it? Alone. That's why I amen Rachel earlier. That's all you need. Alone, right there, Jesus. Jesus was even explicit in it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in, in case he wasn't clear of 
no man, no person comes to the Father except by or through me. He is the path. There's only one path to that mountain and up that mountain, and God has shut everything else down. And please understand this. And everything else is, in fact, is doomed. Justification is for everyone who places their confidence in Jesus. God does not have two ways or multiple ways of salvation. He is one God. It is the one and the same God who made both Jews and Gentiles and will justify them. The believing Jews by faith and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, by the same faith, as there is but one Savior and one atonement provided for the whole. The same confidence that is the instrument for the justification of the Gentiles is the instrument for the justification of the Jews. I want you to catch this too. This is also important. Notice how we come to Jesus. Notice it's by faith and through faith. And this is important because Paul, and you're, it's going to make a lot of sense when you read the rest of the scriptures, is there were other people, they were known as, these false teachers known as Judaizers, that would say you need to be circumcised and kind of commemorate the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, if you're really going to be a Christian. And Paul fought tooth and nail to say that is not the gospel. The good news of Jesus is saying this, no matter who you are and what you've done, we come to God on the simple basis of faith, in Jesus, and that's it. So whether you have a very religious background or none at all, come on. See how that works? Whether you're black or white, come on. It's immaterial. It has everything to do with your faith in Jesus. And that's that. And I know, I've actually had conversations with people that go, like, that. that's it? And, and here's what we don't realize. Remember, this salvation is costly. It just is this. It costs the Son of God his life. So it's the, it's the most costly, precious thing ever to happen. That's why it can be that simple for us. It's not that it's just like God made a decision one day, like I'm tired of this. No, he expiated and propitiated, remember, God's wrath through burying our sin. So it's been made simple because of an immensely immeasurable sacrifice on behalf of the Son of God. And so that's what you can enjoy. Enjoy the simplicity of the gospel. John Stott put it this way. The identical truth applies to all other distinctions, whether of race, nationality, class, sex, or age. Not that all such distinctions are actually obliterated. For men remain men and women women. Jews are still circumcised and Gentiles uncircumcised. Our skin pigmentation does not change and we still have the same passport. But these continuing distinctions are rendered of no significant account. They neither affect our relationship with God nor hinder our fellowship with one another. At the foot of Christ's cross and through faith in him, we are all on exactly the same level. Indeed, sisters and brothers in Christ. The message, writes Dr. Tom Wright, is simple. All who believe in Jesus belong to the same family and should be eating at the same table. That is what Paul's doctrine of justification is all about. We're family. Jesus has broke down every distinction. Now we remain different, but there are no advantages in our differences. None. It's simple faith in Christ alone. Faith in God. I need you to catch this, church. Because sometimes, I don't know if we state it explicitly, 
faith in God, and I just want to label it like this, is Jesus' faith. Because we live in a secular, pluralistic society that really doesn't mind if you want to say, I believe in God. Like, you're welcome to believe in God. But that is, there's a different statement and sentiment altogether if you go this. I believe in Jesus. And I mean this, that he died for my sins and rose from the grave and he lives. Oh, you, that message doesn't like to get around. They think you're crazy. Right? And if he hasn't been raised, as Paul says, we are of all, pity, we are of all people to be pitied. We have good reason to believe he's raised. But we recognize, Paul understand, you understand that he went around the Roman Empire and preached a criminal crucified is the God of the universe. He understood how mutually exclusive that seemed. And yet, nevertheless, he's like, that's the only hope I've got. That's the only message I've got for you. But this faith in God, when I ask, do you have faith in God? I'm not saying, can you make believe? I'm asking, can you rest? in the historical work of Jesus of Nazareth, that what he did on the cross can save you, and that he got up from that grave three days later as proof, will you rest in that as the only means of your right standing with God? That's what I'm asking. Not do you have faith in God. That's, that question doesn't even mean anything. All right? Do you have faith in Jesus? Because Jesus is the only way to God that God will accept. Listen to 1 John, and if you think that the Bible, the Bible doesn't say things like this. Yes, it does. Listen to 1 John 3.23. Now, this is his command. You ready? You want to know God's command? The God of the Bible, here's his command. That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded. If you really want to take the Bible and put it into one verse, it's that verse. Believe in Jesus and love one another. That's the, that's the essence of Christianity. And that's what the one true God says. We live in a day, perhaps every other age has been like this, when people are trying their best to establish, quote, other gospels, other ways of salvation. Some are into good works. Some are into yoga or reincarnations or crystals or something else. But the, Bible go the Bible's gospel is not a human gospel, as those all are. The Bible is God's word, and this is God's gospel. It is the only true gospel. It is the only way in which a sinful man or woman can be saved. But praise God, it is the way by which any man or woman may be saved, yourself included. So which of the world's religions are right? Paul gives us the answer. It's real simple. He, he would say this. Whichever world religion proclaims God's gospel is the right religion. What has God said? Has God revealed himself? Yes or no? That's what you got to answer. And if he has, what has he said? And here's the unique thing. I've, I've told people that if you're, if you're interested in church, Christianity, or God, start with Christianity, not for preference or treatment, because it's easy to rule in and rule out. It's real simple. The Christian faith, I'm going to let you in on this and make it real, real easy. The Christian faith all hangs on one event, the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus has not been raised, I, I can tell you this, we are lying to you. I've been deluded, you've been deluded, so, I mean, sincerely sorry. In fact, the other reason why Paul says we of all pit, people must be pitied is because, think about this, I have spent my whole life lying on God. 
I got to stand before a God someday and say, yeah, I told everybody that Jesus was the way to you. And he's like, no. Do you see that? Like, that's how we understand it. That it's that exclusive. So my whole point is, you really have to answer one question. Did Jesus of Nazareth get up out of the grave on that Easter morning? And there's many good reasons to believe this. I've talked about this in other sermons. Come talk to me. I would be delighted to talk to you about my reasons that I believe in the resurrection. But here's what happens. If God raised Jesus from the dead, and that's what the Bible says, then here's what it means. Everything he said is God's truth. It's God's gospel. And it means this. You are a sinner. And God's wrath is hanging over you. It's coming down. And there's one way in which he can remove sin and his wrath and then uniquely credit you with the righteousness of God and impart every spiritual blessing to you. Hold nothing back. And God goes, that's my son Jesus. Will you receive him by faith? Will you, and, and it's not make-believe. It's going, will you rest that it's just Jesus? And the moment you do, you put your rest, you put your confidence in him, he saves you. He saves you. Now, at the same time, what I want you to see, while the gospel is incredibly exclusive, it, it excludes so many other ways, please never forget, though, it's also the most inclusive message. Because who may come? Anyone. Anyone. Repentance, here's all it is, repentance of sin. You have to accept the fact you are a sinner under the wrath of God. Confess it. And then rest and receive Christ alone. But anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. Here is Charles Hodge's comprehensive statement of this principle. You ready? Now it's comprehensive, but it's good, so hang on. He says, we have here the second result. Remember, it excludes boasting with the first result. The second result of the gospel method of justification. It presents a God as equally a God of the Gentiles as of the Jews. He deals with both classes on precisely the same principles. He pursues with regard to both the same plan and offers salvation to both on exactly the same terms. There is therefore in this doctrine of justification the foundation laid for a universal religion which may be preached to every creature under heaven, which need not, as was the case with the Jewish system, be confined to any one sect or nation. This is the only doctrine which suits the character of God and his relation to all his intelligent creatures upon the earth. God is a universal and not a national God, and this is the method of salvation universally, uh, universally applicable. That God is worthy, here's his point, God is worthy of everyone's worship and he has found a way in which to save everyone. And it's through one man. The gospel is exclusive in Christ, inclusive of anyone who repents and believes on Jesus. And thus, because of its universal applicability, it eliminates all other religions. In church, here's what we have to understand. Okay, when you put it in that light, this is not about going to war on other religions. You have to see, they've been deceived, they're under the God of this world, Satan and blind, and the only thing that can curl back the, the darkness is to preach the light of the gospel, shine Jesus on all of it. And they'll either, hey, they'll either thank you 
or they'll persecute you. And that's, that's already been a given statement to the front. Like, if you do this, here's your two alternatives. Nothing's been hidden. My question for you today is, will you come to Jesus? That's, my only, that's the only thing I got to offer you. I love what James Montgomery Boyce said. Is God the God of upper middle class people only? Is he not the God of working class people too? Yes, of working class people too, since there is only one God who will justify the upper middle class by faith and the working class through the same faith. He says, keep on subbing them out. He goes, is God the God of elderly people only? Is he not the God of children? Yes, of children too. Since there is only God who will justify the elderly by faith and the children through the exact same faith. Let the little children come, right? I can only think of one thing that could possibly turn you away from this gracious, embracing, all are welcome gospel. The only thing that can turn you away is your own pride. That's it. It really is a phenomenal message. If that is so, do not call Christianity. If, you, if your pride cannot stomach that message, don't call Christianity narrow or bigoted or mean or self-righteous or sectarian. It is you who are sectarian. Christianity is the only thing I know of that can cleanse you of all the blight. Only Jesus can give you grace to place your pride aside and step through the wide door of salvation as the rebellious sinner we all truly are. No one else will go through. Only sinners. This is what's so awesome. Let's get back to this church. The church is a place absolutely filled with sinners. Right? Not self-righteous religious people. That's not Christianity. It's going, we're, we've all sinned against God. But we've confessed that sin. We're not running from that law. Right? It's a lie. I don't believe that. No, we face the truth. We are sinners. And we turn to the only hope and help for us. And that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. You know what? I, I felt when I prepared this message, it sounds weird, but I felt like apologizing for the simplicity of it because I thought to myself, well, man, Anybody could preach this message. And then I thought to myself, that's the point. <laughs> you can preach that message. That's a message that should be on the lips of every person who knows Jesus. You can go say that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to, in this time of reflection, we're not having an altar call today. Okay? I want to encourage you that if you've never confessed to God in Jesus' name that you are a sinner, and that you will put your confidence, your trust in Christ alone for salvation. I want to teach you a prayer in which you can call out to Jesus for salvation and, and commit to rest in him. All right? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just simply pray this to God? He's, he's not dead. He's alive. He hears our thoughts and whispers. He's God. Would you just say this? Say, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner, and I deserve your wrath. But I know that you love me, that you came down for me, that you went to the cross for me, and you were raised for me. Please forgive me 
justified. Come into my life and get me eternal life. I put my trust only in you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Jesus goes on to teach. You can pray. Jesus goes on to teach that if we love him, keep his commands. I need you to understand this is so important. It's not if you keep my commands, I love you. He's already shown his love for you by dying for you. Anything that we do for Jesus on this side of salvation is supposed to be an expression and out of the motivation of love. That's it. We love him and we love others. And Jesus says this, if, you, if you're ready to identify with me, right, here's his, his commands. If you want to identify with me, be baptized. When we're baptized, we go under the water and we're saying that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins. And when we come up out of the water, we say we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for our forgiveness and eternal life. Baptism does not save you, it is the expression of your confession of sin and you're turning to Christ alone for salvation. And if you've never been baptized, there's no greater way for you to witness or to express your love for Jesus in your salvation than being baptized. I want to encourage you, on the back of that Carol's panel, there's a baptism box. Check that off. Text BELIEVE to our text and church number. Go to our website. Click on the baptism tab. Let me have an opportunity just to talk to you more about baptism. Be baptized. The next thing I want to say is this, is for Christians, I, I love providing these prayers for you to just to think and meditate on in this time of reflection. So I'm going to like say this over you and you can use it uh, to, to pray and praise God with. It says this, Lord God, you have given us a great assurance of eternal life. Your son is the way, the truth, and the life. When we know him, we know you. I love that. When we know him, we know you. You are in your son and your son is in you. His works testify to his own divine nature. Because he lives, we also live. Teach us to love his commandments and to keep them. Make your home with us, O Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Your son is with you. In him we are with you. See how that works? Isn't that beautiful? We're in Christ and Christ is in God, so we are in God. He faced the most devastating loss for us. Help us walk faithfully in his ways. Will you pray that in this time of reflection?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing plan of salvation that you, according to your word, you had in your mind from the foundation of the world that Jesus was already slain, that you had committed your love to us before we were created and Lord, before we even sinned, you knew what we would do. There was no plan B, it was your plan all along to demonstrate your love for us. And Lord, may we, may we go out not in a boastful way. Lord, there's no, no way we can boast in this. But we, we only have for the world is to make much of Jesus. There's nothing else. So we ask that you would give us boldness to have his name on our lips and to declare to a lost and dying world through conversations, through text messages, through social media, that we preach Jesus, that he's our only help and hope. We thank you for him. We thank you that he is sufficient, that he alone is worthy. So we give him glory. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people said, amen. I got just a quick couple of announcements. I'm going to ask Brother Henry if you want to go ahead and come up to the front just so that we can officially uh, propose the budget to you. Um, and then you'll have, again, there'll be two weeks before we vote. So it's not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, all right? Um, and remember, you can come to the campus between 10 and 12 on that Sunday and receive a ballot and cast your vote. Um, you want to just walk through it quickly with them and then uh, anything that you have. And then I'll come back up and share just a few more announcements and then Brother Rick will uh, we'll have that last song. Go ahead. Good morning, church. Good afternoon, I think. Yeah, yeah good afternoon. Um, I'll start with kind of answer first the financial health of the church is in good standing. So very thankful and grateful for that. Um, I know there's been a lot of questions about offering and tithes and uh, expenses and a lot of details and a lot of questions. But um, the summary is we're in good condition. So uh, I'll walk through the budget proposal starting with the top at the offering uh, for next year we're estimating $400,000 offering um, how does that relate to 2020 we were budgeted for 420,000 but it looks like we're on pace to hit about 395 this year um, and that's the majority of the year being streaming uh, so we're very thankful that we even came. I mean, if you look, that's about a 4 to 5% drop. Um, we budgeted $8,000 a week. Uh, we're getting about 7500 a week. Um, just shocking how faithful you guys have been with your finances. Um, moving on to the local mission support, um, we felt very strongly in the Building of Finance Committee that over the past few years, we've targeted 20%. So every 20%, uh, every dollar that you give, 20 cents goes towards missions directly. Um, and with all the emails and phone calls that we've gotten from our missions this year, uh, one, they're very thankful for us uh, standing to our commitment to donating to them. Um, but also, uh, they're showing that there's definitely a need still out there. Um, some things, some camps are shutting down and asking for financial support. Um, and then some of our own committee has donated because we haven't been in person and been able to spend our committee budget. Some committees have decided to spend theirs by offering even more to missions. 
so that's why we say a minimum of 20% of everything that Mount Carmel gets an offering uh, goes out to local and other mission support. Um, we did have a small drop because we kept it at 20%. We had a small drop in missions uh, that total that would be going out, but we did keep benevolence consistent. Uh, and that's our uh, own internal mission support. And as long as our people are uh, willing to give and meet uh, our local needs, then uh, that's our highest priority. Uh, going to the next page. Uh, ministerial staff, uh, for the most part, this stays constant. Uh, no one's getting fired yet. Um, building and operations, uh, this did go up for two reasons. One is, uh, you may not remember, it felt like a totally different decade, uh, but we did purchase that building next door. Uh, so we are going to add the building mortgage uh, and we are setting aside some additional funds for maintenance on it. Um, in addition, church software and technology, uh, that's a new line item this year uh, that we added to do the streaming um, and other type of uh, hymnal type of oh, there's licensing. Licensings. Uh, and there's a whole list of about 11 items that if you need to know more about that, but for the most part, it's it's us doing the right thing. Um, so a small increase in building and operations. Education was consistent and constant from last year. Uh, church music, this is where it gets, um, and I don't want to end on this note, but the church music and church committee spend we have halved. Uh, and that was in order to meet a balanced budget of the 400,000 of offering and expenses um, but the way we view it is uh, based on the low committee spend that we had this year and the reduced offering, um, what we've decided to do is because we're targeting another year of low offering, we're going to go ahead and target another low year of committee spend. If in the sense that we come back and we start to meet and spend uh, and do things that we had always done before COVID, um, we want to keep a monitor on if our offering continues to rise back up. Um, so we did essentially give everyone a six month budget of what they asked for this year. Uh, we would like to propose a mid-year budget review uh, as part of the vote. So in June or July, uh, we can go back and revise it and kind of up anyone's budget uh, based on offering if it continues to go up or down. Um, but this is what we felt comfortable with. Um, if you have any questions, uh, I can take them now or we got two weeks to answer them. Uh, you can contact me or anyone else in the Building Finance Committee. Uh, it's myself, Branson Adams, Matthew Graham, Nick Bill, and Jerry Fisher. Does anyone have any questions at this moment? Um, so, okay, uh, let me just rephrase the question so that everybody can hear it. Uh, the question is in our 
let me get you on the right line item here. In ministerial staff, undersecretary, um, the question is the concern of underpaying our secretary. Um, to answer you directly, we have been trying to put together a personnel committee. Um, right now, the personnel committee is under building and finance duties. Um, we have looked into the responsibilities and roles and responsibilities of the secretary and fair pay. Our sincere plan was to adjust the budget accordingly this year, but given COVID and the budget having to balance, we felt keeping it constant right now and addressing it per personnel committee and the nominating committee. Um, but to answer the short answer is we are aware of the concern and we are addressing it, but we didn't feel like this year was the best year to address it. Our, commit, our commitment was to address it this year, but like I said, given we just punted for next year, and that's unfortunate, but what our ultimate goal is to have a personnel committee, um, and that committee would essentially look at uh, the pastor, the next-gen pastor, secretary, and we've actually had um, some additional requests to have additional roles within the church. Um, so essentially, this, this committee is going to grow as, as the church grows, uh, and we have new job titles. Um, and they would be responsible for making sure that the roles are uh, clearly listed, met, and fair pay. Um, but right now, this is kind of unfortunately how it's always been done. Uh, and that's not to say it's right, but given the conditions, this is what we feel is best to get this done. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, just to remind you, that'll be on November 29th. I think I've given you the right date. And then you're looking at two things on the on the ballot when you receive it. It'll be an approval for this uh, budget, and then there'll be the question of if we will give them the opportunity to revise that budget six months into the 2020, uh, 2021 year. All right, everybody? So I want to make it abundantly clear. That is the special cause business. Now, let me give you these uh, last couple of things. Uh, next week for church, RSVP now. They sh you should actually be available to have the next two Sundays, okay? So... You can text RSVP to our text and church number, 706-525-5351. You can also go to our website, click reserve, all right? And the last thing is on the tear-off panel, on the, on the back of it, you can check off uh, tech, uh, your RSVP for those Sundays as well, and I'll put them in for you manually, all right? So please do that. Also, don't forget about Sunday school, as Brother Rick mentioned. Uh, Brother uh, Danny and Brother Charles doing a phenomenal job. It's 10 o'clock downstairs in the fellowship hall that's just around back. You don't have to RSVP for that. You can come on. Um, don't forget about narrating my Christmas story, all right? You can do it on your cell phone, tablet, laptop, desktop computer, as long as there's like a camera or a webcam. Uh, that's what captures the audio, but go to mpcarmeldemers.com, hover over serve, click narrate. We'd love to have you for that. And uh, tonight, uh, Pastor Aaron will be preaching 2 Kings chapter 22 on the law, law matters. Uh, it'll kick off live about 558, and then I'll be live uh, Wednesday in Revelation at the end of chapter 5, hopefully going into chapter 6, all right? Thank you so much for coming to be here with us today. Brother Rick, come lead us in that last song, and uh, you'll be dismissed. Okay, just before that last song, <clears throat> you probably all felt the same thing I did. 
to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.